Welcome to the You Go First podcast. This is the place where we bring together thought leaders, business pioneers, personal development gurus, and just about any person we discover that will inspire and compel you to go first in all areas of your life. Please welcome keynote speaker, philanthropist, and the official head dream chaser for Odyssey Teams, Inc., our host, Lane Hensley. All right, here we are back at another episode of You Go First. I got my good friend, Alex Vandwerk. Alex, you go first. No, you go first. You go first. No, you, you go you first. Go first. <laughs> so here we are. You go first. I will go first. So I'm your host, Lane Hensley, uh, one of the owners of Odyssey Teams, and we started YouGoFirst.Live a while back because I had so many people around my life that have inspired me, helped me really grow as a person, as a leader, as a speaker, and all that good stuff. And uh, I have invited a friend of mine here. I'll tell you, his name is Alex Vandewark. He is a fireman. So Alex, congratulations. Thanks for being here today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. Honestly, I just want to start by, uh, I can't think of a higher compliment than to be asked to be here, man. So thank you. Seriously. I mean that. I just, I'm really honored to be here. A little history on Alex. So thank you. I appreciate that so much. But I met Alex when he was a junior in high school. You were at our leadership camp, Camp Royal. Just another kid in 150 selected out of Northern California. And uh, you were a a leader among leaders at that time. We lost contact. And then I met you again when you were at Chico State here Mm -hmm. in Chico. And you're now married. You have uh, a child and another one on the way. So congrats on that. Thanks. One beautiful daughter and, and another beautiful daughter on the way and one month and a beautiful wife. Yes. yes. Okay, good, good. Uh, yes. Yeah. My beautiful <laughs> wife made those two beautiful daughters. <laughs> yes. So, um, but Alex is a fireman. He drives a few hours down to Vacaville, California. And in the spirit of you go first, you know, I knew you when you were a paramedic and you were one of the youngest paramedics in Butte County. And I, I want you to be here today because I want our listeners to learn about the perspective of a fireman. So, you know, we're talking about how do we get people to be unstuck in their life, whether that's a, a bad behavior and a bad relationship or a job or some performance level at work and stuff. But, you know, you are a crisis fighter. I mean, you're there when people's houses are on fire. You're there when their life is in shambles. You're there when physically they're injured or a relationship is reached a point where somebody calls 911 and you show up. So I'm hoping today our listeners can really get a sense from you of, you know, what does it take to maybe perform well in those situations? If you're a person around it, what does it feel like to be the one that's everybody's looking to for that as a young guy uh, who's you know trying to save people in really really difficult times? So let's start with the simple question, which is, what is the meaning of life? No. <laughs> no. I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> you know, let, let's start with really just like. What is it? What is it like to be a fireman? What inspired you to be a fireman? And then we'll get into just kind of what it feels like when the the crises are happening, and how can people be better in those points in their life? Sure. Uh, and when we're in it, but what inspired you? What do you love about the job? Well, I love a lot about it, and we'll get into that through answering a lot of those questions and kind of diving into that. But I, I can start by saying um, I remember pretty clearly having a strong resistance to being in the fire service. My mom probably when I thought I knew everything as a teenager, you know. She said, hey, you know, high school's coming to an end. And like you said, that was a time when I was involved in some leadership stuff and you and I had first met. And she said, I think you should look into maybe becoming, you know, part of the fire service. And Mm -hmm. I thought, I don't want to do that. And I think, I I don't know why I thought that because obviously I've been (laughs) doing this for over a decade. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, at the time I must have just been resisting my parents' direction, which is so silly. but she knew she could tell there was something inside of me that would resonate with this type of field uh-huh. uh, based on her experience. And, um, 
And so, uh, long story short, jumping ahead a few years, you know, we had some family connections to other people in the fire service and no one in my family is part of the emergency services of any kind. So, um, I went on a ride along and this particular ride along was with a guy named Cliff Campbell and he, um, I'm not sure what their department policies were at the time, but he let me. <laughs> Sorry, Cliff. Yes, yeah, so give yeah, his last name. Yeah, well, that's right. That's <laughs> it's a, okay. He would be pumped on you okay. know being. But um, I I went on a ride along and I had no experience. I was 18 years old, and we went to a fire, and I'm I'm just I don't even have all my equipment and all this stuff. Just kind of hodgepodge stuff that they gave me and said, hey, wear this if we go on a call, right? And so we go and it's just these like you know, like a pompous grass bushes or some sort of, it was like a bunch of these bushes all stacked together and they were on fire and we were coming up this court and there was smoke everywhere and I'm in the front, you know, shotgun seat and he's driving this rig and I'm just, I mean, we're driving code three. This is the first time this has ever happened. I just already, it's just, it's just this very exciting thing, right? Sure. And we pull up and I, and there's smoke everywhere and we kind of go past the smoke and see, okay, gosh, these bushes are on fire and it's kind of, you know, also very exciting. And he looks at me and goes, all right, go outside and grab the nozzle and I'll give you some water. And I'm like, what? And I'm not going to, you know, say the exact words that he said, because I don't think it's necessarily professional, (laughs) but, uh, he basically said, get, what did I say? Get out, grab the nozzle and go put some water on that fire. And I was like, oh, okay. So I just didn't expect that, you know, type of like, I thought I'm a viewer and he just let me get right involved. And from that moment, I grabbed this hose and I, it was, it was a real line. So it's basically like a fancy garden hose that we have, you know? So now being a fireman, it's kind of funny. It's not like that big of a deal, but, but, um, I pulled it in and I was right there putting this fire out Mm -hmm. and it was just the first snowball down a hill of, I, this is part of my DNA. I knew it right then and there. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I think as leaders, we're drawn to emergency situations in some ways. And I think that could be a strength as a leader where you're like constantly then looking for a fire, you know, and you're like, you know, micromanaging yeah. people's business all the time. But I think I like what you said about it, it's in our DNA to in your DNA where you're like, I really like not just maybe the adrenaline of those emergency situations, but being a person. And I've seen you be super calm and really stressful situations. So, uh, now let's, let's flash to the the back when you were a paramedic and maybe, you know, I mean, storytelling is part of this for Mm -hmm. sure around, you know, uh, stories of, you know, either people really in need physically or funny stories, or just give us a couple stories that stand out in your mind when it comes to like things that, that, uh, you experienced as a fireman. Well, um, you know, what's, uh, I think, so initially I became a paramedic and worked for many years as a paramedic here in Butte County. And now I work for the Vacaville fire department. I'm still a paramedic. I work as a firefighter paramedic. Uh, so, um, what's a, an interesting story that, uh, that I think would be fun to expand on that actually just happened. Um, but, but is something that has been kind of sprinkled out through my career is, um, we got a call for our lady having trouble breathing and it was in a very rural area of Vacaville. So we go up to this area and I was on the ambulance this day. So I was basically acting strictly as a paramedic, you know, and, uh, we get out there and there's all volunteer firefighters. I'm the only paramedic at scene. Um, you know, everyone's kind of looking at me and as soon as we show up, this woman went from trouble breathing to what we call coding She died right there. And so, um, we do our thing, we do CPR, we get her back and she was just a really, really difficult patient to manage. And I ended up having to kind of make some really integral decisions because 
our protocol says if you bring back someone from life and I'm sort of paraphrasing to, to keep it in layman's terms, but if you bring someone back from being dead, you have to do certain things and you have to go to a certain hospital, et cetera. And it wasn't working out because she was a very difficult airway to manage. And there was a lot of stuff. And basically, you know, um, the S was hitting the fan. If I can say that, you know, it was like, like everything was going wrong and then it kept getting worse. And it was yeah. just like, okay, we're doing yeah. everything to kind of to take care of her. And so I ended up breaking protocols and changing decisions and going to different facilities and all this kind of stuff. Cause I just thought it was right. Um, and then, uh, several days ago I'm on duty and we get a knock at the front door of the station and this woman um, says uh, hi I'm looking for Alex and my first I don't know why I have some sort of guilty conscience my first reaction was oh boy I'm in trouble like, what? Yeah, I'm like okay yeah well let's see what which Alex are you looking for what did, what did he or, you know what did he do or not do yeah. so I said oh well I'm Alex and she goes hi I'm I'm the woman whose life you saved wow. and yeah you know it's kind of yeah. It's crazy because a lot of times we do a lot of stuff and we do a lot of good, but we don't get to see a person walk yeah. and say, Hey, I baked you some cookies. Thanks for saving my life. You know? Yeah. So, um, some of those kind of moments yeah. are some of my favorite, you know, integral moments in, in sort of w taking from the day that I was on that first fire and then sort of fueling through your career of like, why do we keep doing what we're doing? It's because every once in a while, things line up and you can really affect, you know, someone's life. So it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I feel your emotion. Yeah. That. Sorry, that's I got worked the, up. No, that's all right. I mean, cause, cause that's what this is about. I mean, when, <clears throat> when people like she, like you were saying, she wasn't that easy of a patient when she was in crisis. Yeah. And I think a lot of times when we're going first for people, they sometimes resist when we're trying to help them. Mm. Uh, and it's a great feeling when people come back and they really are grounded and go, Hey, you saved my life. You know, mm -hmm. you showed me or taught me something. I didn't, I didn't want to learn, but I learned it. Mm. Uh, and it brings to mind the, like the tragic stories. I'm sure you're around when people are, you know, in tough situations, I'm sure you've seen people who have died or been a part of those things. So, you know, what, how do you, how do you get through that with your fellow firefighters, paramedics, you know, it, it's, I'm sure a very difficult part and do any stories stand out to you have like been the hardest to deal with? Uh, yeah, I would say, uh, I'm a new dad, as you mentioned. And so mm -hmm. some of the, you know, there's been, I could, I could spend some time on some pretty tragic stuff, but I would, I would say most recently the things that have affected me that have been challenging to deal with. Like how, how do we deal with it? Well, we're, we, me as a person, my crew, our industry, we're, we're continuing to get better at it. We're not always, we're not always the best. The, the, the history of it would be compartmentalizing all of the stuff. And a lot of people take it out on, uh, you know, abusing alcohol or, you know, un very unhealthy ways. And so there's been a lot of science and a lot of energy in our industry going into peer support and counseling and, you know, figuring out what is the best way to, to deal with some of that stuff. And, you know, some of the, as an example, like I said, I'm a new dad. So things with kids really, I don't know, there must be something biological about it because it just affects me to see and to deal with some of that stuff in a different way than, than probably before I was a father. Um, you know, I've, I've taken daughters off of their dads who are doing CPR, doing the best they can, you know, a little teenage daughter. <laughs> I'm just looking at you and you're, you know, <laughs> so it's, um, you know, a lot of times it is like you said, uh, earlier, 
you, you just have to bring calm to chaos and then we deal with it later. And that's, that's the differentiation between a really great emergency responder and, and a not yeah. so great one. And, and it, and it is hard sometimes, you know, like that's a, that's a one occasion that stands out to me. I actually had to pull a, a 16 year old girl off of her father doing CPR. And, um, you know, there was a time when Lindsay, my wife was pregnant and, uh, she was about five months pregnant. We ran a call on a woman who was normal health, it's almost the same age, five months pregnant. She walked across the street, collapsed, and we did CPR on her. And the outcome wasn't so great. We saved her life, uh-huh. but the baby died. And, wow. and it was just like, you know, it's just, it's so, um, you know, what do we do to manage it the best we can? We, we I think, are a, a building a culture of, of really getting things out, talking to people you uh, trust, your crew and kind of really having good debriefing sessions. It's a, it's a little more crass and a little bit more, you know, vulgar than what normal people would, you know, have a debriefing. <laughs> set. It's a lot more of that type of sense of humor. We have a very dirty, dark sense of humor, but that's just the way we, that's the filter in which we process those really intense emotions a lot of times. Yeah. And so um, that's kind of, kind of the best that we can do, you know? Yeah. Well, in the spirit of you go first, it's like, you know, you're going first to be in those situations. You're choosing a job that's going to put you on the front lines of Mm. people. And, you know, people don't always know why are firemen showing up for this? Nothing's on fire. And you get the first call. It's a 911. Mm -hmm. It's boom, fire, because there's so many fire stations all over the place. So, you know, you're in domestic disputes, you're in a house on fire, you're in car accidents, you're in somebody with just chest pain and so forth. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I, and I feel a, a bit of emotion because it's fun to see you in your uniform. My father-in-law's a fireman. Yeah. He just turned 90. You know, he's got cancer. It's like, yeah, you know, it's just, it's interesting to, to know. And he, I hear stories he tells about being involved in earthquakes in San Francisco. He's an Oakland fireman, you know, in on like a collapse of a bridge and, you know, extricating people from these like massive situations. <clears throat> and, you know, I wanted you here because... You, I, I remember stories you would tell when you were 20 years old, you know, and you're drilling a hole into somebody's bone to try to like, you know, yeah. pump <laughs> medications <laughs> in. And you, you know, I was just like, wow, I was so proud of you, knowing you from a high school kid to now making life and death decisions for people, being the one that you show up on scene and everybody's looking to you to go, what should we do? Mm. Um, and what do they call that when you're like primary person everybody's turning to? Um, well, I mean, it depends on what context, but yeah, you're, you're the highest level of authority at a scene or you're the incident commander or, you know, you know, what have, there's a number of different terms depending on what kind of scene you're at, but basically you're, you're the, you're the highest level of medical authority. So if, if there's EMTs or, or even if there's doctors at scene, I mean, uh, pretty much a paramedic is in charge of any medical emergency. What if there's a motivational speaker on scene? Yeah, actually, we have a special clause in the code where they actually supersede our training, you know, because of leadership and decision making, obviously. We joke we want to make a video someday yeah. around that where That's there's right. a good doctor and a fire. I'm a motivational speaker. Oh, well, thank you. I'm glad you're Thank here. goodness someone's here finally that can help <laughs> us mitigate time this. time when motivation isn't enough. Like, people need help, yeah. and, and you're providing that help. But, you know, in, in the spirit of just behaviors, you know, what do you see you know, how did, how could people prepare for a crisis situation, whether that's a, you know, you don't have to make a parallel to work or business or anything like that, but just, you know, what are things, cause I think behaviors are behaviors, whether yeah. you're at work or, you know, your house on fire. So what are behaviors you think people need to either tap into or have, or I don't know, help us understand. 
That's such a great question. Off the top of my head, I think the first thing is it's a mindset. You know, I want to encourage all of your listeners that if I can be a firefighter paramedic for over a decade, then you can in a sense of an emergency. You, you know, you may you may not have any training or skills or whatever, but there's going to be a time where you need, there's going to be some version of some emergency at least once in every person's life. And if you have the mindset of, I'm never going to, I can't, I'm not prepared to handle emergency or I, I'm not, you know, the negative sort of like, then your reflex is going to be to shy away or to not be able to do what you, what you innately are capable of doing. And and I want to encourage the people who are listening to know that like by switching that mindset and by knowing like in in a moment, whether it's doing CPR on a stranger or whether it's helping mitigate some mass school shooting, which is unfortunately all too common. Um, you don't need to look left or look right to, to see who's going to be the person fixing the problem. You are, you are the person it's you. It's time to go first more than ever to, to do anything that comes naturally to you within your common sense or your reaction to fix the problem, you know? And so, I think just having that mindset of if an emergency happens of any kind, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something. Um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people um, don't have that approach because I get that a lot. Like, Oh, I I could never do what you do. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you could, I I do it. (laughs) You know, you can, you could do it. Everyone can do it because some, at some point in history, there was no fire service. There was no paramedics. People just, there was just emergencies and people just did what they could do. Right. And so, um, and we're all still here. So, (laughs) well, yeah, when I think about what are, what are the majority of calls? I know that there's, you know, we're in California, there's a lot of talk about the homelessness and people Mm -hmm. in drug and alcohol abuse situations or mental illness and so forth. And, you know, this isn't a political show, but this is a show about just people and like trends that we see and, and knowing that we're all in those situations, you know, what are some of the things that you do to help people that are in those kinds of crisis situations or? Um, well, it depends on what is going on. I mean, in the moment, fixing whatever is a life threat obviously is the key. So if there's some sort of drug and alcohol thing that is to the extent that, that someone's life is in danger, that's our first priority. And then we may not get down the road to really fix the problem or, you know, like really address, you know, something to, something to help these people, but you know, there are, there are systems in place. They're not the best, but there are systems in place with social work and other stuff where we can kind of bridge the gap between someone who's a a bummer junkie on the street and, and getting them the actual assistance programs, help that they need. Um, but you know, we're, we're mostly wrapped up in just responding to the ones who are overdosed on heroin or what have you. So we don't, unfortunately I see a lot of the results of what our society has created, uh, you know, and again, like you said, we don't want to get, whatever it would created get that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What, what, whatever. There's a number of, you know, individual circumstances and societal circumstances that have created a lot of homelessness issues. And some people are truly victim and some people are making bad choices. And so, um, I, I see the results of all those things, but unfortunately it's, it's a, it's a hard feeling to feel a little powerless. There's not much I can do other than address the immediate stuff. If there is any mm-hmm. and transport someone to the hospital. When you, so. when you go on scene, like how do you, what's your priorities? Just teach us about if I want to be a fireman and I oh, show up on the scene, I would have no idea. Like, what do I look for first? How yeah. Do you, how do you the, assess the, the biggest thing nowadays? It first right out of the gate is scene safety. So, I mean, every we we get a lot of training in a variety of different fashions on how to assess 
whether a scene is safe, but ultimately it's common sense. You know, if you're, if you're approaching, just like you're walking on the street, whether you're by yourself or with your family, if the hair on the back of your neck is sticking up because you see someone that's concerning to you or whatever, that, that's scene safety, right? So we go, if there's something that we're seeing, you know, whether it's a vehicle that looks unstable, we're not going to walk towards that vehicle and rescue someone until we feel like we can stabilize it. Cause I'm, I can't get crushed then I'm no good or, mm-hmm. or violence wise, obviously if, if there's something that is a potential threat or whatever. So number one priority is always seen safety and then it's getting into establishing, okay, how many people are here that are injured and, and what's the extent? So in a, in a ma- mass casualty thing, a, a accident on the street or something, you really have to decide, okay, how many people do we have that need what type of care? But in a, a typical emergency, it's like a one person thing. You know, my dad's having a heart attack or someone got shot or whatever. So then it would be jumping into, you know, really it's kind of silly, but the ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation. So we, you know, as I'm coming up to you, no matter what your emergency is, whether it's a panic attack or you're shot, you know, uh, or somewhere in between there. Uh, Those seem pretty extreme, but I understand. There's other sides of the spectrum, maybe. Okay. But we get it all, right? Yeah. So I, I got to establish within, you know, as I'm walking up to you, the priority of like, okay, you're breathing. And I can tell you're breathing at a normal rate and at an adequate, you know, volume. So, okay, your airway, your breathing is already good to go. Do you look pale, like you don't have any blood circulation, or do you look like you have nice, you know, skin color and that kind of stuff? So I'm assessing those things as we walk mm-hmm. up. And so all of us are going basically scene safety, the vital stuff, ABCs, and then we get into the meat of what we call differential diagnosis, you know, figuring out, okay, is, you know, are you having pain? Are you having weakness? Are you have, have you been sick? What, what's going on? You know, really, yeah. really being kind of like a, I don't want to say the word detective, but that's kind of what we are in a lot of ways. We're trying to figure out what the rest of it is, but, but that stuff is okay. Now I've established whether we have time or not to talk about that stuff. And so the, the immediate things are those kind of first, first and foremost, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, everybody, you know, when you think of firemen, you're just like these superheroes. You know? <laughs> I see the, the hook and ladder go by. I always want to be the guy in the back and just know what that feels like to drive this vehicle and represent, you know, like help is here. You know, there's help is on the way and there's help is here. And I think everybody, when they see a fireman coming, there's this positive reaction like, okay, cool. This person is in charge. And I think, I think something I want people to feel today is, is that behind the badge and behind the truck and behind the uniform are people yeah. who are making a choice to go toward it. And I think 9-11 was one of those things that just united everybody around. Wow, firemen are the ones. They're running up the stairs. Everybody's running down the stairs. Yeah. You know, you're going toward this person on the street that is acting erratically in a dangerous thinking, I can be safe in addressing the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you recover? I know I appreciate you being here because I know you worked all night last night and yeah. made your couple hour drive oh, home. My pleasure. We had scheduled yeah. this. So, uh, you know, you're going home to your family and how, how do you, how do you kind of cushion those two things? Like you said, without proper coping mechanisms for the places we put ourselves in. I think this is an important question because as leaders, as someone who's out in business, you know, driving and a person who's, you know, trying to have this big life, there's a, there's this time between, you know, that work and those stresses and the times when we want to be our best at home with our kids and our wives and our husbands and family. Mm-hmm. How do you, you know, any advice on how to, how to cope with the, that transition? Uh, yeah, well, the, the, the way that I do it is my best and my wife would probably hopefully say the same <laughs> but you know um the way i do it and the things that i do are things that you you know doesn't doesn't take an emergency responder to to need to do the same things and you know because people's stress is different and lives are relative and so whether you're a 
you know, a person that works in the parks or whatever, it doesn't matter what you do. Everyone has some version of this where you have to harmonize your work and life and, you know, family balance. And I, I have just, I have it in my head that if I don't do everything I can possibly do to manage, um, being understanding and calm and patient with my daughter, with my wife, with my family, even if I get off of the worst shift, which I'll be honest, happens a lot. I mean, we, there'll be times where I just got done, you know, uh, uh, last set was a perfect example. I, I paced someone, which means I took control of their heart because their heart was too slow. They were altered because of it. I ran a code on someone, they were dead. And I ran a code on another person. One of them lived while the other one didn't. And we ran nine calls after midnight and then I went home, you know, and, and wow. then, and then to be home, it's like, Hey, we got, you know, the garbage cans need to go out. The house <laughs> needs to get clean. You know, there's lots of stuff going on at home while, while we're doing this. And, and yeah. I, and obviously in my field, it's a little bit of a, there's a, maybe a bigger divide than some people because I have to really work hard to decompress yeah, myself. The copy and, machine wasn't yeah. working and the proposal yeah. didn't cost. Yeah. This but you like know what? Everything. Coding people. And yeah. And so whatever version or divide you have within what you do for a living, we all need to have an approach on being understanding um, that at home something is going on and, uh, and that people that love you need, need you to love them and need your time, need your focus, need your energy. And honestly, it sounds kind of weird, but you know, if I don't do it, I'm going to get divorced. If I don't do it, you know, if <laughs> yeah. I don't do it, I, I'm going to yeah. let my daughter down. I'm going to let my wife. Down. So I have that, those thought the, the way that I accomplish it is on my drive home. I'm thinking, I'm just going to sip coffee and I got to focus on getting my physiology and my mindset ready for whatever's going on at home, whether it's like, daddy, look at this drawing I made for you and it's all happy and warm and fuzzy. Or if it's, or if it's, you know, a crisis at home, cause sometimes that happens. And, and a lot of people in my industry have a, have historically not been very good at that. And, and people in general, I mean, it doesn't take a, an emergency responder to, to not be good at coming home. And then, you know, this is a cause of resentment to, to have, some sort of disconnect between, oh, you don't understand what I just went through, whatever it is, you know, it's yeah. work stress or life stress. And so um, I think having a focus on p putting that second and putting whatever's going on at home first is, is the way to accomplish kind of changing and being ready for that, you know, in a healthy way. Yeah. Well, well said. I know that, you know, you're, you're talking about choice and, and that <clears throat> intention and really focusing on, Hey, I've got my work performance. I have a role I play at work and I'm on scene and I'm, a human that's dealing with life and death situations. And I'm, I may have my own doubts, but I need to tell people you go there and you go there and mm -hmm. they don't need to know that you're going, who should go where and you yeah. just tell them. And <laughs> that happens do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and then you get home and, and, and I, I love the appreciate that, you know, the ultimate sort of crash and burn would be like you said, I get a divorce. I don't get my, you know, these are the things that motivate us to, to balance ourselves and not be reflexive mm -hmm. about this transition. Um, and, uh, knowing that, like I said, my father-in-law is 90 and he's still happily married to his wife of, you know, 60 years kind of thing. And, uh, what a great example of, you know, how to separate these things and how, like you said, they're all blended together. And that's why I thought it was so important to have you on because I think people who are watching or people who are listening understand that this is really a person that's got this got at least at least their head on on I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to keep being better at it. And that continuous learning that you exhibit from the day I met you as a high school student to then as a college student as a paramedic as now a good friend of mine and 
and somebody that I see you go off and put your life in jeopardy uh, to be there for people and uh, to see your family growing and all that stuff is so awesome. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I know your wife is a, a school teacher as well. So we have a firefighter school teacher and you're yeah. a family. I mean, you're just like this quintessential uh, sort of vision of, I, I think, what you imagined for yourself when I met you. Um, it, what do you think it, are just any any last sort of words about just uh, what do you what do you do to you know, uh, inspire or motivate yourself, uh, in your relationships with your coworkers. I mean, I imagine it's challenging. You guys are up all night and the gals and guys are, you know, in this like real tight culture, uh, coping with these crises and stuff, you know, how can other people who are first responders out there, what do you think is the key to being good at that part of the job? I think being less critical of each other, and really being introspective and, and, and forcing yourself to understand, like, first of all, we're all, we're all very experienced, but we're all beginners because every call we run is different. And, and all the things we do, that's part of why we like doing it. It's always new and it's always challenging. It's always exciting. And, and, and some, you know, often it can be tragic and intense and emotional, but, but a lot of, for whatever reason, the people that are drawn to this industry are naturally hypercritical of everyone hmm. except for themselves. And I, I am, I have discovered that about myself that I, even I am hypercritical when I, I should really be mostly critical of myself. And then hopefully that shift, if I could get into the ears of all of my peers, you know, nationwide, anyone who's in the fire service or, you know, um, I think that's something that we need to do better. And that, that would really, 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 uh, make a big ripple in, mm -hmm. in our pond, so to speak, of healthy culture of dealing with some of these things is being less of an armchair quarterback and being less of a critical evaluator of everyone all the time because that's what we do. It's, it's odd human behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think it exists everywhere in all industries and all areas of life. But for some reason, you know, in our area, it can be pretty crippling and it can really affect uh, people that are maybe on the brink of something in a very powerfully negative way. Um, you know, that just as a side note, there, there were more f suicide deaths in the fire service last year than on, on uh, line of duty deaths. So wow. more, more of us are dying because we're killing ourselves instead of because we go try and rescue wow. somebody in a fire. So, so to, to the only reason I say that is because, you know, it's really important for us to find ways to answer your question, you know, and, and I, I think that's one way is being, being more of an, like, what can I do to just understand mm -hmm. because every call, you know, someone, some other station that's, you know, you're hearing it all go down on the radio. We all listen to each other. And then, mm -hmm. and then what's the, what's our reaction? It's to, it's to critique and to, Oh, I would do this better or do this differently. Or I can't believe he, he or she did that. And it's kind of like, why, why do we do that instead of, wow, how difficult must it have been to do this? And wow, how good do they do by, you know what I mean? And, and I don't know why in our culture it's rampant, but it is. So. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, you know, great place to end is just, I think in relationship of any kind, you know, we have this reflexive need to assess and then critique instead of just, you know, observe and learn. And without going to that, like what I would have done or vocalizing that we can become, I always feel like, man, I'm so busy trying to be better at who I am. I, I barely have time to like, but, but we find the time. And so often we maybe insulate ourselves from our own assessment uh, by filling our mind with our critiques of others. 
Um, and that fulfills sort of that unconscious bias mm. that we have maybe toward those people. And it doesn't allow them to change, doesn't allow us to change. Yeah. Uh, and we're just not good in the moments where we need to be good. Uh, when we you hit it on the head, I think, <laughs> you know, yeah, totally. Well, Alex, man, I'm just so proud to see you here and I appreciate you coming and sharing some of your story. I know you have so many stories we've, you've told me you oh, yeah. know, around, uh, you know, just, just these, you know, life and death situations that you're putting yourself in to try to be that hero for people. And I see the way you're showing up for your family and I just can't wait to see your growing family and see what you do next with these skills that you've developed beyond as a fireman, but just as a person. And that's what this show is about. How do people develop the skills to go first, to look at themselves, to go first, to be in harm's way, go first, to find people in big need. Uh, and you're doing that every day, man. I know you're up late and all night last night. <laughs> well, I'm so doing much. my best. <laughs> yeah. So with that, everybody out there listening, hey, thanks for sticking with Alex today and really hearing his story as a, a paramedic fireman. And it's an honor to be your friend. Oh, likewise. It's yeah. an honor to be here and be your friend too, man. Yeah. Awesome. So good luck out there, everybody. You go first. Uh, there's no social media or anything for Alex, um, but uh, we can probably find you on Facebook and things like that. But uh, please, I hope you have some big compassion for those firemen and those paramedics and police and all the first responders out there who are living with those stressful day-to-day uh, -day behaviors and then coming home and trying to be good at home as well. So thanks for those insights today, Alex. Yeah, thanks. And any, anyone who's out there who's on the other side of it, you know, just do your best to be patient with us. We're not always great at doing what we do. We're not always great at debriefing. And, and I think somewhere deep down, we all want to be good partners and good fathers and good mothers. And so, you know, be patient with us. Yeah, well said. All right, Alex, All right. thanks for being here. Right. Yeah. Thanks for listening to another episode of You Go First. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to listen to another episode, you can find us at yougofirst.live or you can see more about our host, Lane Hensley, on his Instagram at OneDreamChaser. To learn more about his company, Odyssey Teams, Inc., go to odysseyteams.com or follow all their social media channels at Odyssey Teams. Thanks again, and we hope that you will go first to share our podcast with a friend or colleague. Now, you go first.